Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, Episode 4. Today, I'm chatting with Katie Selvage. Katie created the online and print publication Cottage Hill. She loves real inspiration and wholehearted living, and she used her experience as a magazine editor to shape the content of her program, Mastering Instagram for Creatives, which, by the way, is the only Instagram course I believe in. Katie has recently pivoted into the homestead life, and today we're going to talk about how to build a business that you can sell, which, P.S., should be every business, how to know when it's time to pivot, and how to navigate life as a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Join me today in welcoming Katie to the podcast. Welcome to the Zimmerman Podcast with your host, CEO, wedding professional, educator, and mom, Jessica Zimmerman. In just two years, Jessica went from facing bankruptcy to taking home a six-figure salary. She turned a business-saving $100,000 loan into a million-dollar empire. As a creative entrepreneur, a healthy work-life balance seems just as unattainable as a six-figure income. But Jessica Zimmerman is here to show you it's possible. With the right tools and insider tips and some hard work, your craziest dreams can become your daily routine. If you set some boundaries and commit to healthy changes, you can create a business and a life you love. So let's make your business work for you. Hey, Katie, thank you so much for being here on Zimmerman Podcast. I'm really, really excited to talk about today's topic, about pivoting and about it's okay if we don't want to want our business forever. I mean, this is something that I resonate with so strongly that I, and you recently, like recently, just like last week, did this. And I just, I think it's something that is not talked about near enough. So welcome to the podcast. And I just, I can't wait to, I can't wait to get going on it. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. And I agree. This is a topic that is not talked about enough, not just in entrepreneurship land, but like the creative world. It's almost taboo or something. So I'm excited for us to talk about it. I always feel for, you know, I guess the first time that I really experienced this was when I had a rental company a wedding rental company, which was a disaster. It is just everything that I didn't want, which was long hours and weekends and lifting and cleaning and treating linens. I mean, everything. And when I finally took some time to decide, wow, that isn't really what I want at all. I feel like I had all the freedom in the world to pivot into a different business, which was full-time floral design at the time. I think I have also felt the freedom to pivot into education and now into a podcast. And I have a book coming out in April, which has absolutely nothing to do with the business as it is today. And I think I just feel for those who believe with all of their heart and soul that they've started this business they must do this business until the end of time. <laughs> or if they don't, then they failed in some way. And it's all or nothing to them. And I think that you have a really, really healthy approach to that. And I'd love for you to kind of share your story about Cottage Hill and how you're how you just sold it and and how you came to that decision and and all of that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, 
many, many years ago, when I first started Cottage Hill, there was a lot of encouragement, well-intended encouragement of entrepreneurship that I think may have created a not a well-rounded perspective of creating a creative business. And the encouragement was, you know, you have to make it happen and hustle was trending then. And the whole idea of that you can't go find your dream job, you have to make it. And whatever you make, you know, you put your name and face on it and it is your calling and your purpose. And there was a lot of sort of emotional pressure, I feel, um, in creating and starting a creative business years ago. And so I went into it with a bit of a perspective of this is what I shall do forever. And this is what God has chosen me to do. I mean, that was, I I don't know if you felt that way, but it kind of felt that way. Um, this was like back in 2013, 2012-ish. And, um, that wasn't why I created Cottage Chill. The reason why I created Cottage Chill, it's kind of a long story. I had, um, in a previous life, I was a professional ballet dancer and choreographer. And what I loved more than anything was telling stories through choreography. And surprisingly enough, in the ballet world, um, there is kind of a glass ceiling. There aren't many female choreographers or female leaders. Um, and I wanted to be the next Twyla Tharp. I wanted to um, be that female voice to bring about, you know, really strong pieces to the ballet world. A few injuries later, I had to go to college. It was very sad. Um, went to University of Oklahoma, tried to major in dance, but my injuries just wouldn't let me keep up. Ended up graduating with a degree in journalism because, again, I loved telling stories. Um, told my parents as soon as I graduated, I was going to move back to New York, which is where I was. Um, and three weeks after I graduated, I got married and moved to Tulsa and huge life shift <laughs> perspective shift. I, we lived in a, ba uh, we didn't live in a Bass Pro. We lived behind a Bass Pro in an apartment. I could see cows from my window and Bass Pro on the other side, huge shift from Union Square down, you know, New York city and American ballet theater and all of that nice, fancy stuff. But still, I had a passion for telling stories. I worked in nonprofits. Um, I had multiple jobs. I worked with a wedding planner um, because I wanted to learn the wedding industry. I'd just gotten married. It was interesting and creative. Um, and I work, kind of worked myself to the bone. Um, I, I was having a huge identity crisis because I had always thought I was going to be a dancer and I was going to end up back in New York and this was not the life I decided, but I met a guy that I loved so, so much. And it was just a huge shift for me personally. And I, in order to kind of fill the hole that had been created by leaving the ballet world, I tried to fill it in with a lot of hard work and a lot of pressure in my day job. And I would work way more than I really needed to um, over caffeinate. I was determined to just make big things happen. And one evening I was pushing away. No one was in the office. It was dark. I was the last one there per usual. And I remember pushing away from my computer and falling to the ground. And the first thing that I thought was, this is a panic attack. Oh my gosh. I finally have had a panic attack. I saw it as a badge of honor. Like that's what an unhealthy mindset I was in. I was so heartbreaking wow. about ballet that I felt like I had earned, you know, I had earned something by having a panic attack. I was working so hard. Aren't you, you know, I'm just so proud of me. 
And the only thing was it kept happening. And and <laughs> when I described it to my coworkers, they were like, that doesn't sound like a panic attack. That sounds like a heart attack. And it happened once in front of my husband, Nate, and he freaked him out, went to the doctor, come to find out I have a, um, a valve, tricuspid valve prolapse. A lot of people have different valve prolapses and they have them their whole life and never know, but mine was a little bit more extreme and painful. And um, basically the valve will either open or close for too long and create pressure. And it's brought on by stress and mm. over caffeinating. Mm -hmm. And um, the doctor said, you should quit your job and have a less stressful life. <laughs> and I was like, you don't know me. <laughs> um, I switched jobs thinking, okay, maybe something, because I would have been working for the local ballet. I'm like, maybe something that's not so emotionally close to home. Um, and I'll do a better job. So I worked at American Cancer Society. The week that I joined, they announced national layoffs. And so I was kind of faced with the idea, you know, idea of I can stick it out for a few months or just go ahead and leave and let someone who's been there longer take my job and not have to worry about that. So I left there and I and I was had no employment. I was not employed. And I'd had a, a a sort of nervous habit my whole life of editing magazines. I didn't realize this was not a thing um, until later on. But I would get Martha Stewart's, my mom's Southern Living, um, any any magazine, and I would scribble in it all of their errors. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I edited Martha Stewart, and I would just I just you know like how some people cut out ideas, I would edit ideas like oh, right in vogue like this dress has too much they should have taken you know I would just scribble right and my husband it's just natural to you like you are yeah. a natural editor yeah always in everything yeah always and so my husband threw a stack on our I remember our coffee table because it was all stained and gross but our husband my husband threw a stack on the coffee table and he was like well you could become an entrepreneur and you could make a magazine because you obviously have an opinion about magazines. And, you know, being an entrepreneur, you can create your own schedule and that way you won't get so stressed. And I was like, that's a great idea, honey. <laughs> and like <laughs> everybody's like, oh, my gosh. Yes, I was that blind. Um, not too blind, though. I realized this was going to take a lot of upfront capital, a lot of money. And I took about a year and a half to really define what this was, to do research, to save, because I knew I was going to have to invest my own money. Um, but I, but I, there was this sort of naivete um, going on, going into it. And what I had decided within that year, and I was doing other odd jobs to make up for my income and save this money. But I, what I realized in that year, and this was when Instagram, which we're going to talk about, I know at another time, but this is when Instagram we started to realize that it was a popularity game as well as, you know, if, you know, there was a, there was a popularity element to it, an aesthetic element to it. I thought Instagram was a photo editing app. So if you were to see my old account, you would have seen like eight pictures of cake balls because <laughs> I was going through every filter. And so the, the rise of this sort of public appearance of your life, not necessarily what your real life was happening or going on. And I remember visiting my grandmother in Alabama. And she was going through photos of my great-grandparents, which I was very thankful to have known when I was a child. They, My Mima and Pop loved them. They weren't perfect, but they were just really great, you know, members of the family that people always looked up to and gathered around. And there were these Polaroids and old photos printed out of them in Hawaii 
being just ridiculously silly, like silly hats, jumping off golf carts, making faces. And I was texting someone who was complaining that her husband wasn't wearing what she wanted to and was mad. She therefore didn't have anything to put on Instagram that day. While I'm looking at these square photos of my great grandparents having the time of their life and, um, you know, I, I just remember thinking like no one would share this, but this to me is more valuable and treasured and beautiful than like a perfect post picture with your husband in the right outfit. You know what I'm saying? And I, yeah. it was all of these sort of culture shifts were happening and things in my heart. My husband and I had a huge vision for our, our life. We, we wanted to live on land. I remember on our honeymoon, we said that we wanted to raise children where you had to hose them off before they could come inside. You know, and we didn't come from that background. That was just the kind of life that we wanted. And we had a much bigger picture goal. But during that time, there was a lot of shift going on in the culture of what is your real life and what is what you present to the public or online. Mm -hmm. And I just, there was, there's, I just, I wanted to kind of capture, <laughs> like you would catch a butterfly or something. I just wanted to capture this idea that there is a place for beauty. There is a place for, I mean, I came from the ballet world, beauty, like an aesthetic and everything that has value, but I wanted to create something beautiful that was actionable where people would close the magazine, close their laptop, turn off their phone and go do something about it. Not in the sense of I've got to now therefore have a life as beautiful as this magazine, but you know what, if I just paid attention, I would realize there's a lot of beautiful around me, whether that is holding on to my, you know, husband longer, calling my mom or going for a walk and actually seeing what is already here with me and not something I have to go get and become. And that's where the whole, you know, live a life worthy of an elegant and meaningful legacy came from. Elegant meaning discerning, elegant meaning, you know, you don't have to prove to anyone, you know, that your life is meaningful or beautiful. You treasure it yourself. And a legacy meaning that, you know, people think legacy and they think like a big business or something like huge. A legacy meaning what my great grandparents left for me, like they weren't, pop, you know, well known in their community. They were just pillars in our family and their legacy to me mm. mattered. And so that was the start of Cottage Hill. And the, the sort of logistical purpose of Cottage Hill was that my husband and I wanted to live on land and we wanted to pursue some sort of country living endeavor, whatever that may be. And Cottage Hill was going to serve as the bridge for me to, to A, have something to do that brought us income, B, didn't make me have panic attacks like I was, and C, help us get to that point. You know, that was where the money was going to go is to help us get to this place. And so, um, yeah, I, that's how it started. Yeah, I've talked way too long. <laughs> no, you haven't. No, you haven't. I, I'm so interested in, okay, so this was in 2012. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, that's seven years ago. Mm -hmm. There's, I feel like in the last seven years, I have grown so much mm -hmm. in seven years. I also have done a lot of work in therapy and learned that I, because I had trauma when I was young, that I'm about 10 to 15 years older emotionally mm -hmm. than my physical age. Mm -hmm. And that, so for me, what you're saying makes sense, but I don't know many other people in there, I'm guessing in your 20s, mm -hmm. of course, that, that can be so clear-headed and so wise about 
that, who can say, who can be at a time, Katie, where everyone is about these perfectly curated feeds and all the hustle. And you were able to say, you know what? I know what we want. We want this land, which by the way, I also want to know at another time, maybe we need to have lunch again. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how you go from New York City to desiring land? Yeah. Um, I need I need some clarity yeah. because I too struggle with with this. Yeah. But um, I love how you know that so clearly, and I love. I'm just wondering what was either your childhood like, mm-hmm. or what was going on that allowed you the space to be so clear about something that I really don't think most people would probably know until their 40s. You know what I mean? Well, the there's a lot. I say, that, I say that with the most compliment. Oh my gosh. Like with, no, that was super okay. kind of you to say. That means a lot because as far as the New York City country parallel, I think they are the same <laughs> because I am the type of person, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs truly do resonate with this. I love hard work. I love hard work for hard work's sake. I love sweating. I love being dirty. I love doing things that no one else thinks you can. I enjoy challenge. I enjoy, this is going to sound weird, but I enjoy pain in the sense that it's causing a transformation. And that's what I got in the ballet world. You know, the ballet looks beautiful, but you don't see that like, I did a whole performance on a broken toe, like our toenails falling off or sore muscles or, or that it's bleeding when you've taped yeah. your whole foot up. So there, yeah. there's like a grit to the grace. And I've always been attracted to that. Even in my business building, there's a grit, like who the heck Googles their way to create a magazine, but there's a grace in that I knew I wanted to work with the top, like beautiful, like photographers and designers. And with the country living, there's beauty, like in the pictures I posted my sheep, But what people don't know is there's grit. I've lost two sheep since we have Mm. started and it it is emotional and it is hard. And I am, you know, doing my best. I literally, like before this podcast, shoveling poop, trying to get fecal samples to figure out what's going on with my herd. And so there's this constant like back and forth with me of grit and grace, of dirt and sweat and beauty and elegance. And I, be- and I think we need to, and I'm going to get a little f- philosophical. We need to remember like, have one without the other. like we have to live in a world where both of those exist. It can't be an either or. And so when I saw the culture sort of shift to a more aesthetic and less honest, and I mean, real honest, not hashtag authentic place. I was like, we've got, that's what I mean. Like catching the sort of butterfly of an idea that we have to have both to be happy in our real lives. Ballet taught me that. And my parents too. I'm very fortunate in the upbringing. My dad was in the military. And so we moved every two to three years and I had to learn how to make friendships fast. I had to learn to adapt to new cultures. I think that's why I observe so much. And I had to learn how, you know, I was homeschooled and I had to teach myself a lot. And so, you know, a lot of that is, is what shaped me to who I am and what has made me attracted to those sorts of things. And, and that's what I really wanted Cottage Hill to be was a reminder that, you know, like Brene Brown says, you can't be, you can't um, numb out the bad, you have to feel it all to know how good the good is. And I, and I wanted the imagery of Cottage Hill to be beautiful and stunning and high quality and amazing. But I wanted the stories to remind people of real life and remind them, like, if you just open your eyes, you could see a lot of this beauty. 
around you, if you did the hard work, you could you could yield something beautiful in yourself or in your life. Jessica's always teaching that your time is valuable. So is hers. So to make this podcast possible, we have sponsors. Here's a quick message about something Jessica loves. Here's the thing. If you're wanting to start a business or pivot into a new venture, you need to know your numbers and you need a plan. That's why I created a free resource to help you figure out what you need to know financially to make your business profitable. The four numbers you need to turn your side hustle into a full-time gig. It's tempting to close your eyes and avoid looking at your finances because you're scared you won't like what you see. But to make your business profitable and sustainable, you need to know your numbers. To get this free resource, head to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash know your numbers. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash know your numbers. Hey, are you loving this episode? If you've been listening thinking, oh gosh, I'm so glad I found this. This is exactly what I've been needing. Then I need you to do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it on your social media. I can't reach more listeners like you without your help. And these early days and weeks of the podcast are absolutely crucial to building the listener base we need so that we can keep producing content that is free to you and answers all your biggest business questions. So share this episode, tag me at Jessica Zimmerman underscore, and then get right back to listening. I find that really fascinating that you find, I think that's going to help so many people that you've got to have the sweat, the grit to also have the beat. Like they're, they're, they're one within the same in, in some ways. Mm -hmm. Mm, I love that. Okay. So then you, now was 2012 a time, because I don't remember, I'm so like in my lane that I, I can't remember. Was that a time where, were things more online? And you were almost taking a risk by by going print. Yes. So this so the odd jobs that I was doing, I was blogging for a lot of wedding professionals that didn't want to. I was doing a lot of social media stuff because people didn't want to learn it, and um, I really wanted to do print because I wanted people to get off of their devices and open something up, just like I did with my mom when she'd get a new Southern Living or a Martha Stewart, and we would stop. And sit down and look and you know and talk about what we saw in the in the magazines. And I had a I had a professor at college tell me that you know print is dead. And yeah, I get it. You know they want to be progressive and you know on on the edge of trends and stuff. But you know he told me a print magazine wouldn't work. And so I had a little bit of that uh, you know challenge and risk taker in me to be like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. And I you know I'm gonna prove that I can. And um. Yeah, I just, I just wanted people to stop. <laughs> I just wanted them to stop all the nonsense and just take a moment, open something physical, and then go do something about what they just read or saw. It was such a good magazine. It is such a good magazine. I I, I remember buying one, and I've never done this before ever in my life, but I reached out to you. Mm-hmm. Like the, I found the email address, reached out to you. I told you it was the first magazine I had ever read cover to cover mm-hmm. that I could tell that it was every thought. Every, I mean, I could tell that every detail, every detail from where the picture is placed to how, the font, to the, the, the title size, everything was so 
carefully thought of and and curated. And I I've never told anyone that before, but that magazine it made me feel something. Oh, that makes me so. It, I'm so glad you did it reach made out. Me want to stop. It was during the time, Katie, where I was, I mean, just balls to the mm-hmm. walls. Like I was going, going, going. You want to talk about hustle? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing the same that you were doing doing a few years earlier than that. Just killing myself, mm-hmm. you know, working so hard because I thought that's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And that magazine made me stop and it made me be present and it made me read. And it made, I mean, all these things that I normally didn't do. Yeah. And I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta reach out <laughs> to this person because this, a miracle just happened. But so you clearly, you make this beautiful magazine, mm-hmm. you, it's award-winning mm-hmm. Were you after, I'm curious, was there um, was there a high at the beginning? Like, I want to keep doing this. I'm going to do this forever. No. <laughs> or did you always give yourself like a, I'm creating something that I'm going to sell one day. Did you look at it from that perspective? Neither. It started at a real low because our first issue shouldn't have made it. It was like, it was... I was faced with a lot of impossible things. We were hit with a huge cost. I had a hire that was betraying us and, you know, taking things from us that they shouldn't. I had a competitor call and try to dissuade me from pursuing it. I had just kind of like every single facet. There was a roadblock or a no or just, you know, a someone being um, not encouraging or trying to stop me the first issue. It should not have happened. Um, the f- cover, the cover uh, photo shoot, There, how many hurricanes happen in Hawaii? None. But guess what? Shoot day, there was a hurricane in Hawaii, the dress coming from England, and like it should not have happened, but it did. All of it. And we were like, we were in major debt after the first issue with all of these learning curves that I had and doing something I'd never done before. And there was no one there to show me. I was literally Googling my way. And I had a mentor I'd have lunch with every once in a while who owned a geology magazine. And thank goodness for him and, you know, the support that I did have to keep seeing it through. And I ha- I've had such a passion about the purpose of Cottage Hill. And maybe it was blind faith. Maybe it was truly, a, you know, purpose driven or it was just God. I knew that this was going to last for a long time. And that was all I knew. I knew this was needed. I knew I was going to just make it happen and that it was going to last. However, I had not quite learned my lesson of grinding it out and seeking fulfillment through a title and through work. I was still struggling with identity crisis. I didn't feel like I deserved the name editor. And I threw myself into working through the night multiple times a week, over like overstressing myself out. And I kept getting those panic attacks. And I remember one particularly because we had an awful (laughs) cheap little dining table that I was working on. I remember falling out of my chair, looking under at this ugly hot pink sticker and thinking if I ever figure this out and and how to like succeed and not kill yourself through all of the business and emotional and competitor and all these issues, if I can figure this out, I'm going to tell people. And I remember going to the bedroom because it was like 2 a.m. to tell Nate, I was like in tears. I'm like, what if I don't get us out to print and all the advertisers, I'm going to let all these people down and all these people have given so much to me and I can't do it. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, blah, 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 tears, tears, tears. And I'll never forget. He asked me and he goes, well, what if you do fail? What if we, 
just accrue a massive debt and you let everyone down and it doesn't happen, what are you going to do? And I'm pretty sure I slammed the door and said some really unkind things. I went back to that dining table, so upset. But what I did was I got out my paper, my journal, and I asked myself, what if this does fail? And I, what would I do? What would I do? And that was the beginning of me becoming an educator, that moment. And mm. that is actually the first exercise. There's a whole series of questions I, I pushed myself into of walking through failure and what is worth it, what's not worth it, and setting those boundaries for yourself. And that was the beginning of healing for my body, for my mind, for my that hole in my heart that hadn't been filled since ballet. Um, that was when things really started to shift. And I, and I, that's what I, like I said, that's when I think I became an educator, even though I wasn't educating quite yet. Here's what I love about this is that you actually, I, this is why, okay, I don't connect with just a ton of people, but I connect to you on a level that is just, I don't really know how to articulate it. I wish you could feel it so that you could articulate it, but like I, I just connect with you so much in in the sense of what what happened with you right there is that you got a nudge, an inner voice, a curiosity, a curiosity enough to ask yourself that question, to get your journal out, write it down. You didn't necessarily know at that time that you were pivoting into education or that you were going to add that service into your existing business or that you were going to open up a new business, you just, huh, what would Mm -hmm. I do? And so you followed that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of people, Brian and I have had this conversation a lot about passion where he said, I'm just not passionate like you are about um, and I said, if you think I'm passionate about the wedding industry, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not passionate about, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I, for a while, it was just like, I felt like a huge fraud. Mm-hmm. I somehow got placed in this industry where everyone else is just in love with it. And I am, I don't even care to learn, to learn the names of the flowers. I just don't. And, but what I have always done is bet on myself and followed my gut and followed those curiosities, which are, you know, I don't know, like a trail of, for your mm-hmm. life, um, little little stopping points along this path or this map of your journey. And I see each one of those so clearly looking back. Now, when you're in them, you're like, I don't, hello, I don't know why I'm in the wedding industry. Well, I'm in the wedding industry so that I can learn it and teach it. Okay, so now I'm teaching. Like, what am I doing Mm now? Okay, you know what I mean? Just all of these things that I believe wholeheartedly now have prepared me for my book that will come out in April. But I always listened to those. And I was always okay, 100% okay with following it, even if other people didn't understand it. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like you really were too. Like, it's okay if people don't understand this. I'm going to follow this. Is that is Yeah, that true? and I think that's the definition of entrepreneur. You know, we do things that don't make sense because there's something in our gut that tells us that we should we should trust ourselves. And that's to me the difference between an entrepreneur and a hobbyist or a wannabe, which there's nothing wrong with, but you've got to have that much trust in yourself to make those risks and to 
you know, the emotional, the financial, the time risks involved to make something that doesn't exist yet. I remember when Brian, um, he was working as a financial advisor, had been doing that for years. And I could tell that it was really hurting his health, really, really hurting his health. I begged him to quit, begged him to quit. And he said to me, I will never forget it. He said, how irresponsible would that be of me? I went to school for this. I got my MBA. I spent money taking the Series 7. My parents paid for my college. Like, how irresponsible would that be of me to step away from a job that I said I would do? And I said, how brave would it be for you mm-hmm. to, though? Like, it, I don't think that it's irresponsible. I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's responsible for you to recognize that this isn't working for you anymore. I also think it's crazy to ask an 18-year-old to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their life. And I think that our parents' generation, they they got one job and they kept it until they retired. Mm -hmm. And I think some people still today feel that, like Brian did at that time, feel that responsibility to, to do the same. What, what, what are your thoughts no, on that? No, I agree. And I agree with you in that you're, the responsible thing is to take care of yourself because otherwise you're, you're just perpetuating a problem in the name of responsibility. You know, if it's making you sick, you're not going to be able to do it for very long. So therefore you're of no use to yourself nor your employer. So was that you with Cottage Hill? Did it did Cottage Hill literally make you sick? It, the first ep- the f- episode, <laughs> the first issue did until that night. And I that was the night that I'd never forget setting boundaries around what is what is my risk limit? Because this was mm-hmm. not acceptable to live. I would mm-hmm. not make it, neither would it. And that's not fair to either one of us. And so I yeah, I was absolutely faced with that sort of decision. But again, in my gut, I just knew that this mattered and that this was bigger than me and people were responding to it very positively, which gave me that, that confidence as well. And so moving forward, I just put my business hat on tighter and I listened to wise counsel and I realized I didn't have to do it all by myself too. I wanted it to be my thing. And so sometimes I wouldn't include Nate when I really needed to. And I, I think especially as female entrepreneurs, we're so encouraged to do it yourself and you've got it girl and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, your husband may have some good ideas too, <laughs> you know, like utilize that free right. advice as you, you know, as, as you, you know, discerningly can and started to get him involved and started again to become more discerning and to educate myself on what I didn't know and not be afraid to not be the expert and all of those things. And, and, and we got ourselves out of every single one of those predicaments of the first year of, we got an international distribution. We sold out, which doesn't ha- like, when I say that, it's like, oh, we sold out. And I'm like, no magazine sells out. Like I was very, that's something I'm very proud of. Like when we sold online, I literally would empty my garage of magazines. And that mm. felt amazing to know that those stories were actually going out somewhere. It wasn't just a, um, like an ego thing of I made a magazine. It was like, no, they're, they're, it's moving. There's movement just like I wanted it, you know, to be. Were you personally shipping each of those issues? I sure dang was. Oh, my gosh. Thousands and thousands. And I would pay my family. I'd say, I'd buy you pizza 
if you come help me <laughs> stuff all these envelopes and boxes and there are videos of boxes like going up to the ceiling in our living room and all of my uh friends and family just stuff like paper cuts just stuffing it was crazy but it, it got you know it's like those memories that you were you know hold on to yes of, you know humble beginnings and um yeah so it it went like it was going really well uh, after that awful first year it was going well you know we had our hiccups and challenges I made huge mistakes and as I made these mistakes I started documenting them into a curriculum I called editor's course which started in 2014 and my biggest thing is I don't think it's my opinion but I don't feel comfortable teaching if I haven't found success three times because the first time could be a fluke second time could be luck third time means you actually got something going on yeah and teach like I it's a whole other conversation but once I felt not that I was an expert but that I had enough proprietary information that would be helpful to people um I was actually encouraged to start coaching and that just didn't feel great to me and so I started editor's course a curriculum and it did I very well and I enjoyed it I loved you know it it was kind of the immediate gratification because I would help someone and see them um change or grow whatever and it was very it was very fun um (laughs) that my awful awful mistakes could make somebody else's life better (laughs) um and that sort of promise I still that hot pink sticker you know under the table promise came true of like actually helping people and you know again there were challenges and mistakes and hiccups and stuff but overall things we're on an, uh, an incline of getting better and better. And then um, 2016, I had my first child, my daughter, and we found our dream property. We found it four or five years sooner than we had anticipated. And it was a mix of we had worked really hard. Again, things had been going well with the businesses. Um, some s- sort of serendipitous situations of, you know, family also looking for land. And so we could find a really pretty property, then divide it up. Um, it, it just all kind of came together when I had my first daughter. So I became a mom. We found this land and we started building our home. And this sort of dream that we had declared almost, you know, less than 10 years ago was coming true sooner than we had anticipated. And I always hesitate saying that because it kind of feels like, you know, it's so hard to get what you want, but it it was the timing we weren't quite ready for. Um, We had been trying to get pregnant and it took to, it took us a while and she was, you know, a bit of a surprise, but a good surprise. We'd been looking for a land for a long time. And it, you know, it was kind of a surprise that it all just kind of came together quickly. And um, I knew in my heart that Cottage Hill and even my courses, I knew that it wasn't going to live on with me. What and made I, you know that? Like, what is it? Are you like intuitive that way? Do you have like these gut feelings or these? I knew so kind of the Oprah, what I knew for sure. What I mm-hmm. knew for sure was that Cottage Hill was going to continue. But what I also knew for sure was that this property was going to require all of my attention and I wanted that to happen. Mm. And the bigger vision that we had was going to require my attention. And the way I wanted to be a mom was going to require more of my attention. Um, And I... I didn't come to this until I was, you know, I always tell new moms who are entrepreneurs, don't decide what kind of entrepreneur or mom you're going to be until you're a mom, because you don't know. Meet the child, walk it out, and then you'll know if you want to go full force or if you want to 
the estate, whatever it is. And so I had given myself six months. My daughter was born in uh, January. That summer, I was like, whatever I create, I want her to be overtly proud of. Like I want it to be, it is worth that I did not get this time with my mom because she did that. Like it was worth to miss out on these moments because look what she did with that time. And the magazine did not feel that way anymore. Mm. I knew it was good and I knew it served and I knew all those things, but it did not feel like an even trade off. I knew that I wanted to work. And I knew that I wanted to produce something that she would be proud of, but the magazine was not it. And we went on a trip to Colorado and I, Nate knew my struggle and he knew that I'm very good at indecision. indecision. And he was like, this week, you're going to decide if you're going to print next year or not. And I went and got a massage and this little French guy like gave me a massage and like killed me about pushing and pressing and complaining about how tight and he... I'm, it was a long time ago, so I forgot what exactly he said, but paraphrasing was yelling at me, you have to let go. Why won't you let go? Like, he was mad at me. <laughs> and he would, like, stop and stand in the corner and just stare at me. And I'm like, I have never experienced this before. What is happening? Mm-hmm. And he was like, "You, I." and he said, and I remember, I cannot help you if you do not let go. It will not get better if you don't let go. And I posted that day on my Instagram a random video of a mountain and wrote about letting go. It was August 4th, 2016. And that was the moment I knew that my businesses would not end with me as the owner. Mm. I believe with all of my heart and soul that our bodies tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think when we start to feel a certain way, whether we are, you know, having panic attacks and falling on the floor mm-hmm. or we are having major gut health or we have adrenaline issues or major headaches or whatever, we have to pay attention to that because there is something underneath that. There is something that is saying something's not right and we need to find out what that is. We either Mm -hmm. need to fix something, maybe set some boundaries or something, or what am I, am I, I'm just going through the motions every day. What's not fulfilling me? What's not making me happy? What am I not noticing? And I think that's exactly what happened with you Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I made that decision and I, for two years, I tried to see if I actually needed to rework Cottage Hill's business plan. Like maybe it's not the business, it's just the magazine doesn't work. And so I should do dinners or I should do a product, a different product or, and every time I try to switch around the business model, it just, again, is it worth it or not worth it? It just wasn't worth it for the trade-off of being a mom and spending time on our new property, which was part of, again, a bigger vision. And I allowed myself to get very complacent and procrastinate and never really solve this problem and just continue like the online blog and advertising and just, you know, teaching editors course, which is amazing and wonderful experience and everything, you know, all worth it. But I just allowed myself to kind of live in this ambiguity. And then last summer, um, can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. Before you continue, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking as a as a listener who is in a position where maybe she's doing weddings for a living and mm-hmm. she is like, man, I would love to take a year off and and do this, but I just I can't. Like, were you in a position where you had either 
saved the money you had made or mm-hmm. you're, you were fortunate enough that your husband was bringing home enough to where you could relax mm-hmm. a little bit for a year or like just so we can like normalize yes. that for people. So there were so on the financial side and security side. That's such a good question. Thank you for asking that. So yes, people people will take time off and it'll be like you know, oh, I can do this, but it's like, well, what's really going on? So what was right. really going on for me was that the education was supplementing what was being made in the magazine. So the mm. education, I was making the money that the magazine made me, and it took a whole lot less time and it was more flexible for myself. Um, and so, but I, but the magazine Cottage Hill wasn't making a ton of money other than some online advertising, and I wasn't really trying to sell anymore. I was just kind of like had a holding spot on it. Now, my husband's income is what we live off of. So let's make that super clear. My husband's income um, is what we live off of. Very grateful that he has a good job and that I am able to take risks that I can because we have that security. And I, right. oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I understand a ton of people don't have that security mm-hmm. to be able to take these risks. And I'm not going to pretend to understand that. Um I can only speak from my own experience. Right, but at absolutely. That time, yeah, but at that time, the education aspect was taking or creating the same amount of income as the magazine. So it was easy for me to make that decision logistically, but difficult emotionally. Mm. I'm glad you said was that. Was it hard for you? Did you ever have a moment when when you had that clarity of the post with the mountain and you said, and you knew that mm-hmm. Cottage Hill would go on, but you wouldn't be a part of it? Mm-hmm. I think so many people, I mean, Cottage Hill was the name of the road your grandparents lived on. Like right. so many people get stuck on that, but that's mine. I, that's uh, personal. Like that's mm-hmm. my personal thing. Like whoever I sell this to, I can't sell it to anyone because oh. their grandparents didn't grow up on Cottage Hill Road. You know what I mean? Like are yeah. you, how are you able to – because I think a lot of people, when you work so hard on something, you do become attached to it mm-hmm. and it's hard to let go. Like what mm-hmm. – walk me through that. So it's kind of – forced a little bit. So last summer, and I had the same decision. I thought, I was like, you know, I think as a business owner, you have certain opinions of your business that aren't technically true. It's just because you have a one-sided perspective. And so you may underestimate or overestimate different things. um, And you should always put pen to paper and look at the actual numbers and the actual situation. Um, I didn't do that until last summer. And so last summer will always go down as an awful summer, three of the closest people in my life were faced with just scary health things. And I think you can resonate with this and that my mom, my husband, and my best friend were each faced within a month of um, just really scary situation. My friend was um, potentially, she was up for a surgery that had a 24% survival rate. Mm. Um for some chronic um, pain that she's been through, just to simplify things. Um, That'll slap some reality into you real fast about what's important and what isn't. We had a very deep conversation the day before she left for Mayo Clinic um, about life and business. She's also an entrepreneur. My mom had a health scare that had me trying to figure out if I needed to close everything down and go to Houston Um, where she lives and take care of her. My husband was having um, some issues that we later found out were minor, but it was still kind of jarring that we were in the ER so often. And it 
talk about perspective shift and like, you know, if something were to happen to him and he's the breadwinner, I would have to pull up my bootstraps and really push, you know, my business a little harder and, you know, to counterbalance that, you know, so lots of thoughts (laughs) forced again to look at my business um, more objectively. And I, we were in the ER, I was holding my daughter. We had just found out we were pregnant with number two and, um, he's hooked up and he holds my hand and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And (laughs) once again, he's asking me the hard questions and he's like, all we wanted was, um, this life out here in the country. And this was our vision. And that summer had been not necessarily hard, but kind of annoying. I had the most copying cases I've ever had in my business. Mm. I had a lot of just like online, pretty much bullying, um, Mm. industry mean girl stuff, things that I always say, it's kind of like an annoying fly where you're just like, it it doesn't like really affect you. But after a while, you're like, oh my gosh, stop. And all of these personal things were happening and I was forgetting to send cease and desist and all of these things just felt like it didn't matter. And I just wanted to quit. I I just wanted to just stop it all so that I could have more time with people I cared about because our days are numbered. And I was crazily reminded of that last summer. And, um, he was like, you're, you're, you're dancing around what you really want Mm. and your excuse or your businesses, the education in Cottage Hill, you need to do something because he was, you know, life is too short. (laughs) to live in indecision and ambiguity and not do what, you know, is before you and all this stuff. And so, um, that was the moment that I was like, okay, I've got to stop messing around and find an owner. And that was when I, to go back to your question about naming it cottage chill and all that, that's when I went back and had to put pen to paper, get out the spreadsheets and have a real valuation of my businesses. And that's when I saw and realized how much more valuable it was than I had realized. And again, not to like toot my own horn or be like, I created an amazing business, but I just was made more aware of how many businesses, um, are not as valuable as you think because of the smoke and mirrors of marketing and social media. I was made aware of how many business are not truly proprietary um, in their appeal to potential buyers. Um, And I was also made aware of how important it had been for me to always try my best to do the right thing and work with integrity and not gossip and not create enemies of my competitors, but make them colleagues because those were the people that I started to reach out to about. Yes buying. And if I had played a game or I had been, you know, Mm -hmm. even just the littlest bit lack of integrity, that opportunity, you know, even, you know, that opportunity would have not been available. It had a much smaller pool of potential buyers. I could not agree with you more. I just, oh, can you just talk to me all the time? Like it would just make me so happy. (laughs) I had a similar experience where I was, I've never talked about it, but um, I won't go into detail, but just a little bit bullied in the, in the, within the business and not within my business, not like by an employee, but by someone else in the industry. And I knew that I had done nothing wrong and I kept my mouth shut, Mm -hmm. kept my mouth shut because I'm running a business. This isn't high school (laughs) and I kept my mouth shut and I have continued to keep my mouth shut and I can go to bed every night knowing that I have a clear 
conscience and a clear heart more than anything. I have a clear heart. I haven't done anything wrong. But I know what you're saying about it just being like this fly mm-hmm. because you have to take your hand up off of your off of your computer to swat the fly, right. which distracts from your work. And I so I fully, fully understand that. Would you pay a dollar a day for more energy, focus, and drive? That's what I get with Beekeepers Naturals Bee Powered Superfood Honey. Every day, I take a spoonful of their bee powered honey, and every night, I go to bed after my kids, which is saying a lot. Before bee powered, I'd be totally out of energy by 4 p.m. Can anyone relate? Running a growing business while being a mom to three kids, including some pretty wild twin boy toddlers, it's exhausting. But with Bee Powered, I feel more focused and driven than I have in a while, like maybe even before kids. You know I wouldn't try to sell you something that I don't believe in and actually use myself, but I love my Bee Powered, and now I honestly can't imagine my life without it. If you want 15% off Bee Powered, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash B to get yours today. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash B-E-E. The other thing I wanted to say was, I think if I were in the position of looking at the name Cottage Hill, mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, what am I, what am I scared of? And I, this is just me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you did this, but for anyone out there who is thinking, you know what? That's true. I don't want my business anymore either. But why? Like, if we're holding on to something because of fear, that's something we need to look at. That's mm-hmm. something we need to look at real hard. Mm-hmm. But I think I would go, okay, let's say I sell this business to someone and they just run it into the ground, mm-hmm. like run it into the ground. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I've run? my grandparents' legacy into the ground? No, Mm-mm. not at all. If they run it into the ground, does that mean that Cottage Hill is less important to me? No. Then, okay, I can sit with that. I can sell that. There's a restaurant in town, a family-owned restaurant for, I mean, 40 years, a barbecue restaurant. Uh, it was named Smitty's. And they had it. It was it was the dads, and then it was the sons, and then it was the next sons, you know. And then the whole family decided we're done with barbecue, <laughs> and they sold it. And it was just a couple years later that those new owners just weren't, you know, cut up for cut out for the barbecue business, and they and the business closed. And I think that doesn't make me think a thing less of that Smith family. You know what I mean? Like not a thing less. And and they shouldn't feel that way either. And I think that's just what people are afraid of. Like, I'm going to have worked for all these years and someone's going to mess it up. Well, and someone mentioned to me about, you know, it being my business baby. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) It's my business. It is not a business baby. Like, Mm. this thing has grown legs and gone to college. Like, that's what it feels like to me. Um, Right. You know, and and I say it quite a bit, like, you should never make emotionally led decisions in your business, but you should make passion led decisions because I see a lot of, again, mostly creatives, they make decisions based on their emotions and their feelings. And that can get you into trouble. That's your feelings can lie. Your emotions can be wrong. Um, 100%. And you can create something that it, that is not valuable 
to a potential other owner, but making it passion-led, you know, I didn't call it the Katie O'Selvage magazine, um, making it passion-led. I'm passionate about family and being present. And what reminds me of that is the road that my great-grandparents lived on. But it's kind of like Nike, where if you just hear caught a chill, you aren't like, you don't automatically associate it to that unless you know um, the actual story. You know, no one knows what a Nike is. It just is what it is. And so that was my goal in building the business is making sure not, I didn't have the intention of having a, a new owner, but the intention of it being owned by the readers and the readers being able to sort of project their own stories and feelings onto it rather than just reading mine. And to, and to me, that's what I feel when I talk about content value. That's what I think made it valuable content to sell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I always... And it sounds like you did this as well, but I always, um, from the very beginning, kept every number, you know, every sale, every cost, everything, because I had actually purchased a business. Mm -hmm. I knew the only way that you could sell a business is if you could prove, you know, that it was worth it. And I'm always fascinated. I think a lot of people don't know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that because I went through that process of buying an established business. But if you haven't gone through that and you're starting something from scratch, you may not realize how important that is um, in order to to sell, right? To be able to prove that this is valuable and worth it. And I think you said something one time and I just, I felt like, I feel like I think things in my head and you say them in <laughs> one beautiful, like... <laughs> eloquent sentence. And it's like, that's exactly the mumble jumble that I have in my head when it's said really, really nicely. Um, But you said, if you're building a business and you can't sell it, then you you don't really have a business. Yes. I was like, you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And not just from a numbers. I mean, the numbers, doing evaluations on my businesses was very eye-opening. And I think even if you don't intend on selling, you should do that and just realize because we get so bogged down in our goals and monthly and revenue and blah, 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 that we don't take a step back and go, well, what is the true value here? You know, you can edit your income and outcome, you know, all the time, but what's the true value? Like, just see what the value is. But from a networking community emotional standpoint you know when I met with a new owner we had a whole day that we went through everything and I'm helping her through February with the transition and I had to give her a list of everyone who has copied us and I had to give her a list of everyone who I have had to cease and desist or um who has tried to plagiarize I had to I had to give her that list and I had to go through the names and say what happened and what I did because it would be found out if I had done something wrong, right? And it's kind of like, you know, all of your all of your moves are going to be like she got to see all of the mistakes I made with the first issue. She got to walk through like, you know, you got to be aware of this. I did this wrong, don't do that. You know, when you go to sell a business, I just I don't think I really realized it but you're really put to the fire of um, what actually you have been doing Mm -hmm. for however many years. And it felt really good. And, you know, I made mistakes. I'm not going to say that I perfect or super integrity, whatever. I strove, strove, I strived for that. (laughs) 
hashtag editor fail. Um, I really <laughs> went, you know, wanted to work with as much as integrity as possible. And it felt really good when I said, this person copied, I sent a cease and desist. Nobody on the planet Earth besides the two of us knows. Mm-hmm. This person did that. I responded with this legal action. Nobody in the entire world other than us three now know. Exactly. And how yes. good that felt. That does feel good. To, I'm right with you there, girl. Yeah. And how much more valuable, again, going back to value, valuable of a business that makes Cottage Hill an editor's course, regardless of numbers, how valuable that makes it because there's no gossip, at least, you know, nothing that I created that could yes. hurt the business. Yes. Oh, so good. So good. Okay. So now you've handed over the business Mm -hmm. and you are now at the homestead. (laughs) Is there part of you, because you are an entrepreneur at heart, that thinks, how could I monetize this Uh, at all? Oh, yeah. And so I can't sit still, but I've given myself a challenge to not monetize anything for six months. Just to give my like my brain a break and not to jump on anything too soon. Yes. So going into yeah, going into the I didn't I so our new business name we'll share another time, but it doesn't have rancher farm in it, just because we're not quite sure that is what it's going to be. But my husband and I we we are the opposite of expert. (laughs) We know nothing. We were not raised near farms or ranches. We know absolutely nothing. As I've said before, you know, I love, love, love my sheep, but we've already lost two and just getting them this past month. There's some parasites, something going on. I'm trying to figure out. I'm failing before we've even begun, technically. And so I want to be very mindful of, you know, I built this business. Um, I've built a business before and I've learned a lot and I want to be very mindful that I take what I learn and apply it to the next thing. And, um, you know, I don't want to position ourselves as farmers or ranchers because we haven't earned that. We are not doing that. There's people around us that do that for a living and that would be so disrespectful, I feel, in my opinion. Uh, You know, like whatever, you know, you want to do. And I just, I've learned so much that I'm very mm-hmm. excited for what's next. Not that I'm not going to. And you're okay that you don't know that exactly. Yeah. I think that's one thing that, that people, they sit there, I always call it stuck in the hallway where there's a door behind them that's half open and a door in front of them that's half open. And they, they are unwilling to close the door behind them until they can see the door in front of them all the way open. And that's just not how it works. I have to say something realistic and then I'll give you something a little Yoda-ish. The reality is that my husband has kept his full-time job. So I have a real security there. And like, let's not pretend Mm -hmm. and be like, I have some like money stashed. Like we have, you know, money stashed. But the reality is that we have the security of my husband's job. So let's like take the romanticism out of this and be real. Um, We have paid off debts and we have like we have secure financial security to afford me to do this being real. Right. Now, the romantic side of this sort of is that through the sale of my businesses, I have not just in my head, but on paper, know that I can create something out of nothing and make it profitable and make it valuable and make it sustainable and make it sellable. 
Therefore, mm-hmm. I'm going into this with a whole lot more confidence. And so with all of the question marks in front of me, my husband and I are going on a trip to Napa in February, and we're going to sit down and talk. And like, we haven't had much time to sit down and talk, sit down and talk and say, okay, this is what we're going to try for. Not yeah. what's going to be forever, but this is our first sort of experiment. This is what we're going to try for. But even with all of those question right. marks before me, as much as I may not know what's next, I do know, like you said before, it's that entrepreneur spirit and gut that I can bet on myself, not just because in my head I think so and in my heart I feel so, but because on paper and in reality, I know so. I know I can do this yeah. and I know I'll figure it mm-hmm. out. Yes. And you're a student at life. Like you, like you're not going to just do the same thing forever and ever. You're a student of life. You're too curious. You're too, yeah, I love that so much. So what would you say to somebody? First of all, I just want to say congratulations because I think that that's huge. I think it's huge to, to build something, to sell something, to move on to the next thing. And then I think the best part of what you just said is that you gave yourself, because you know that you could immediately just go into, okay, what's next? And that your brain would just start turning. But for you to say, no, I'm going to give myself this amount of time to to. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, that's smart of you. I think that's really, I think that's really good. A good goal to have. What would you say to someone who is thinking these things right now? Like maybe they have. I'm thinking of a particular student of mine who um, she's bought every education that I have and. Every time I talk to her, I have lots of students that that take the education, they implement it right away, and they see change. And every time I talk to her, I go, well, have you implemented that yet? No, I haven't. And I'm like, you know, you can have all the education in the world, but until you implement it, nothing's going to change. And I think that there is something there, honestly, that she has invested in workshops. She has invested in my education and other people's education. And I think that investment in education or attending those workshops or or whatever it might be, listening to podcasts is what she's doing to try to convince herself that this is the job she wants because it's the job she started. But I'm not sure that it is. Because when I start to ask her questions about like, let's just say, there was no floral industry. Mm. What would you do? Yeah. There's a an immediate answer. Mm. And and I'm like, what if we what if you just allowed yourself to discover that? And I think it's really hard for her to do because of the money she's invested and the time that she's invested. You know, she's in her upper 30s mm-hmm. and it's like what a failure I would be to stop. And I don't I just don't look at it that way. So what do you what do you say to that? No one cares what you're doing. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I just about wrote a few notes and I was like, well, nobody cares what she's up to. And that's not meant no. to be rude. Like no one is refreshing your website. No one's refreshing your feed. No one is sitting, twirling their thumbs, drinking their coffee, going, hmm, I wonder what she's doing. I mean, maybe your mom and your best friend, but other than that, nobody cares. So you might as well do what I you want. Agree. Yeah. And there's yeah. a huge difference. And I had to walk through this. I'm not going to pretend like I had this figured out. There's a huge difference between quitting and moving on, right? Yeah. You have to know, and only you can in your heart know if you're quitting or if you're moving on. Quitting means you didn't give it your best effort, and so you're just throwing in the towel. And I don't, you know, not down for that. 
moving on mm-hmm. means you did the best you could. The puzzle piece is not fitting, whether you're the business or within your life or in whatever. Therefore, you do something responsible like sell the business or close it down gracefully or take care of your employees or whatever you need to do responsibility-wise and then move on because you have a clear conscience that you did the best that you could with what you had. But bottom line, no one cares what you're up. No one – I don't care if you have a million followers. (laughs) I don't care if you're the highest top in your industry. Nobody cares. If you were to announce tomorrow that you're quitting everything, you get a ton of sweet messages and the next day, no one cares. Absolutely. You you could not be more right about that. You are you are dead on. So you might as well do um, what you want. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is maybe one or two questions if somebody's listening and they're like, This is kind of resonating with me. <laughs> what are one or two questions that you would ask them to ask themselves? As far as whether or not to sell or preparing to sell. Well, I mean, I just, um, a way of giving them some clarity, like to, of, of should they should they pivot mm-hmm. or stay? I, you know, it's cliche to say, but remember why you started. So you made up a really good point. And I used to talk about this in workshops in that I would always remind myself that I'm not an editor. I'm a storyteller. I'm a curator. I'm not a magazine. You know, I didn't ever want to give myself the big, I'm a magazine owner. I am, but I'm really good at editing. I'm really good at storytelling. I'm really good at connecting people. And so I can do that whether I own a magazine or not. So take a step back. Like, why did you start? Is it truly the craft is what makes your heart sing? Or is there something about the job that makes you feel good, whether it is creativity, it's community, it's, you know, you're, you just love the challenge and risk and stuff. Take a few steps back and see what that is. Like I said, for me, I have a theme of grit and grace in my life. I have a theme of storytelling. I have a theme of you tell me no, I say yes, and I'll do it was so much better than you could ever imagine. (laughs) You know, like I have that in me and it doesn't matter if I am telling a story in the magazine or I'm telling my daughter a bedtime story like I'm still fulfilling my own like calling so to speak or my own purpose and my own um strength no matter what sort of category that's in so take a step back and see like what I always ask what are you really doing you're a floral designer cool but what are you really doing here that you Mm -hmm. like thrive on once you get honest about that then ask yourself, okay, if your business you it had to close down tomorrow, bye bye, zilch, not a nothing. You wake up the next day, what would you actually want to do? Like, would you want to need to take a vacation and chill out? Would you like fight to get it back? Would you do something totally different? What would you do? Those are good questions. So good. What's been and your there- favorite part of being on the homestead <sighs> so far? I you know, it goes back to that grit and grace. I, to be totally honest, we lost, um, a lamb earlier. This, this, when you own animals, you kind of get this, but the, the sheep were a huge mile marker and accomplishment for me because I have had a picture of the owners of Blackberry farm, um, Mm. from way back, like I think 2012 architectural digest and they had a sheep in their family picture. And I just, I've had that in my, in my vision board. And I followed the family. It's a beautiful place. Amazing. And that to me, 
was like a benchmark of us. We made it. We're here. And so we got our herd and we have had some sort of parasite epidemic. I'm still trying to figure it out. And right before, literally like the day before announcing Cottage Hill, we lost another lamb. And it was like failing before I've even begun. And this is going to sound very strange. I'm super sad. I'm very frustrated. I'm very just exasperated about it, Mm -hmm. trying to figure this out. But at the same time, it feels like this is where I belong. Right. It feels like the challenge I need to figure out, Mm -hmm. not what to do because someone else copied us. (laughs) Like this is the challenge that is worth maybe the babysitter stays an extra hour. This Mm -hmm. is the challenge that is worth a little extra money than we had budgeted for the farm allocations. Like this is the kind of challenge that is worth my heart and my time and figuring out how to raise these animals. Cause we have a bigger picture vision. We want to do something for our community. And this is a stepping stone to us doing that. And if I can figure out this challenge, that means the bigger thing can happen. And so for a very weird reason, this feels like I'm in the right place as sad. Does that make any sense at all? It makes it's, total sense. Like this and is, to me, it's the right not, challenge. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I, it makes total sense. And I don't think that it's a matter of if you're going to find it out, you're going to figure it out because you mm-hmm. are meant to be exactly where you are right now. And you're meant to, to, to solve that puzzle and you will, there's no doubt in my mind that you will. Okay, tell us where we can follow along on your homestead journey. So I am on Instagram at Katie Salvage and um, website katieosalvage.com. The um, bigger picture stuff will be coming along in a few months. We've got to decide it ourselves before we share it, but I'm very excited for that to start to come to life. And like I said, it I've been so at peace about all. I think a lot of people m- may also wonder if I regret any any aspect of selling and moving on or anything like that. And I think I have felt so much peace about it because of the bigger picture and the bigger vision and knowing that these new challenges are the right challenges. Um, And, you know, maybe you listen to this and it resonates and you need overt word vomit to someone. My DMs are totally available for that. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to find someone. There aren't many people talking about this and it's okay to wonder this it's it it should be something you think about because you're a business owner right you're a real business owner it should be something you consider and so please know i love dms message me i'm happy to listen to you to talk about it um yeah and cute pictures of animals while you hang out over there super cute pictures of animals you're so gracious to offer that to go into your dms that's so nice of you okay so i like to ask people if you had Oprah money, how you would spend it. But I, I know that you love Taylor Swift. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to edit my question. Okay. Mm. So if you had Taylor Swift's money, Mm. so like tons of money, more money than you would ever need or want, and you had to spend it on something totally selfish, Mm -hmm. what would you spend it on? So it's just for you. It's not for Mm -hmm. your animals. It's not for your family. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I wish I could change that to if I could have Taylor Swift's PR team's brains. (laughs) That would be fascinating. Um, 
I <laughs> sometimes I want you to come on here because I don't know what it is, and I am always fascinated because I always am like so in tune with you. <laughs> and then you like post something about Taylor Swift, and I'm like, it's just the one thing I don't get. Not that oh. I don't like love Taylor or oh. think that she's great or whatever, um, or you know, bebop along to her songs on the radio. Bebop. Mm-hmm. Am I like 97? Mm-hmm. But um, I. I think I want to know because I know that you're coming from like yeah. an observing perspective and you observe her marketing and yeah. her launches. And like, I just want to know, <laughs> I just want to know what you've learned, like, and how that's fascinating to you. So anyway, we'll do that another time. Yeah. Well, I mean, her repu- her reputation tour is on Netflix. And if you watch it and if you've ever read Donald Miller's story brand, it is like a a professional masterclass of story brand. If you really pay attention, it's I made a whole YouTube video. Just Google and you'll find me talking about Taylor Swift okay, somewhere. Okay. But <laughs> um, if I had her money, I told someone. You know how rich people have like a chef or like a personal trainer or yes. like that. I would want I would want a cowboy trainer. Like I yes. would want someone to teach me all the things that I need to know to have a legit operation. I would pay some, like either I would go to like Montana or they would come here and I need like a Yoda, a a farm Yoda, someone who will like really be honest with me and like tell me the things to do the hard work to figure this out. That, I feel like that's a cheat answer, but that would, that's, and then like maybe a vacation or two, but like to travel with my family. But it makes so much sense because the part of the, like one of the biggest joys in life to you is solving the problem and learning. (laughs) And so that makes so much sense that you would want to basically like hire a teacher to live on site. I mean, how sweet would that be to have your own personal Yoda? It would be amazing. I'm kind of with you. That would be so good. Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing with us. This is such a topic that just isn't talked about a lot. And I hope it's, I know, I know it's been helpful for people. So thank you for sharing your heart and your knowledge and your experience with us today. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm excited for people to listen more to you and this new podcast and just binge and enjoy. There's so much that they have to glean from you. So I'm excited for you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying that. If you loved what you heard today, even if you liked it a lot, you should subscribe and leave a review. We'll see you back here next time in the Zimmerman Podcast.